Buenas noches, Senor Caleb. Hello, Miguel. How are you? I'm doing quite well. What are you drinking tonight? Tonight I have a mimosa, a continuation of a brunch drink I had this morning. You just kept it going all day long? Nope, there was a pause, but I've relit the fire. Ah, Very adult of you. Yes, thank you. What about yourself? Apropos of our discussion tonight, I am drinking an aviation. Ah. And doubly apropos, I've screwed up the recipe too, so there's been human error introduced. Oh man. Which is odd because it's my wife's favorite drink, so I, I, I make it quite a bit. I think I was just distracted by these amazing gold-rimmed coupes I scored at the thrift store this weekend. Nice. Yeah, yeah, it's distractions, you know? So tonight I thought we could talk a little bit more about the incident that happened in May, the first autopilot crash and fatality for the Tesla Model S. And um, we've had about a week or so of the news sort of percolating, and it certainly has turned into... The most mainstream news around Tesla I've seen in in a couple years. So many different publications picked it up. I mean, I I couldn't avoid the amount of press this was getting. It was it was everywhere. Oh, it's tailor made for lazy clickbait journalism and, and morning show headlines. Yeah, I think certainly. I mean, just to recap sort of what happened for for posterity's sake and for those who are listening who haven't been keeping up on May 7th, a Tesla Model S that was apparently in autopilot mode, was driving along a highway in Florida, and a tractor trailer, an 18-wheeler, was crossing a divided highway and making a left turn. And as the truck was moving across the highway, the Model S uh, drove underneath the truck. The windshield broke. The top of the Model S was shorn off. And the car rotated counterclockwise and it eventually hit a power pole and was 100 feet from the highway when the car was found and had finally stopped. And the, uh, the driver of the, uh, of the Tesla was found dead at the scene and charges are pending against the truck driver. And so it's an accident um, that apparently there's around 250 uh, of these sorts of accidents a year where a vehicle will drive in the underside of a tractor trailer. And there's actually these guards. I I noticed on the last trip down to Los Angeles, these sort of like rubber mud flaps that are on the side of of a lot of tractor trailers these days. They're not required in the U.S., but they actually are required in, in Europe. And apparently those both are good for aerodynamics, but also for safety. And so if a car strikes those, apparently they're far less likely to go underneath the car and, and, and rip the roof off. So this truck did not have those applied, but apparently this accident is sort of uh, one in 250 or so a year of the 30,000 uh, fatalities from automobile accident crashes. So it, it's not unprecedented for this to happen, uh, about 250 or so a year. But the thing that's caused all the news is that the car was in autopilot. Right. And so Tesla then released a blog post indicating that they alerted the National Highway Safety Transportation Administration, NHTSA. The day after they found out about the crash, they got the logs from the car. They knew it was an autopilot um, and they had been investigating it, but they reported it to the highway investigation. But it sort of sat quietly for about a month until uh, very recently, about a week ago, it was revealed that the NHTSA was actually going to do and had opened a preliminary investigation, which apparently is their initial part of their investigative process. Is that what triggered the announcement? Yeah, that seems the thing that has really triggered everything and got all the news happening in the blog post since uh, there have been other accidents. Um, there have been a few other accidents this week, even 
not necessarily autopilot related, but just generally accidents. But this one was certainly opened up the opportunity for calling into question the safety of autopilot and whether or not Tesla should have autopilot as a feature, what it means for it to be in beta, what did the autopilot system fail technically? Did it fail in, in its description and marketing? Is the driver at fault? Is Tesla at fault? Is this just a random accident that happens 30,000 times a year in the US? Did the Tesla just not sense that the car was crossing or was it just not uh, equipped to handle that situation? So there's actually, Tesla's had different statements on this. So in the original blog post, when they described it, they they said that it was a sunny day and the police reports backed that up. And this was in Florida, right? Florida. Yeah. At 3.30 local time, 3.40 PM. So sunny time and... Sunny, but the sun wasn't low in the sky at that point. I guess in Florida at three o'clock or 3.30, the sun would still be pretty high in the sky. Yeah, definitely not like a, a, a super glare issue, but apparently the, the truck was white. Mm-hmm. And so Tesla said something about the truck being white and neither the driver nor the camera system autopilot saw the truck. So that would have been the camera sensor being able to notice there was something up there. So the, the camera wasn't able to sense that there was a truck in front of the vehicle uh, at any distance when it possibly could have applied the brakes. No brakes were applied either by the autopilot system or by the driver. Oh, so it did not notice at all. It didn't react at all. Right. And then when it got even closer, the radar, the forward radar potentially would have detected something like this. The radar did detect something. However, later Elon on Twitter revealed that the radar detected something, but it recognized it as an overhead sign and that the corner case here was that because the truck was perpendicular to the road there was space underneath and so the autopilot system is is and the radar is tuned to know that sometimes there are metal objects above it uh, and that those could be signs like in a parking garage or those mcdonald's signs that you drive under and not to make the car stop because there's a small sign above the car and so it didn't apply the emergency braking protocol because it erroneously called it a sign. Now, this is, I think, where it really gets into the details of was it a failure or was this not actually something that it could have stopped? Or, and this is, I think this is the real debate. But Tesla wants to make the, the case that in general, if you look at all the autopilot, they were talking and, and very publicly describing, you know, for 130 million autopilot miles driven, only one death. And the U.S. average is 90 million miles for one death and 60 million miles worldwide for a death. And so they aren't willing to say it's statistically safer yet. Elon was on Twitter on Sunday, the day we record, saying that they want to get to a billion miles before they're really willing to say for statistically relevant sample size that it's you know, could move it out of beta. Can we call that a gigamile? Yeah, a gigamile. A gigamile of, of distance. Um, and he said he was, ex- the, the side side little thing, he said they're going to reach it in six months, which means they must be counting the miles without it being active. Because if we remember, there were like 750 million miles driven with cars with autopilot hardware. So that would mean that in six months, they could potentially get to a billion non-autopilot driven miles, but cars with autopilot. 
And so the distinction is that then, you know, they're tracking the safety of those cars, even if the driver isn't actually riding with autopilot. So all the safety features would still apply. So autopilot is driving, but not actually controlling anything. It's doing sort of a simulated drive while you're driving around. Yeah. And also it would be taking care of any collision stuff. So if you were to hit something, autopilot kicks in because it also covers all the safety features. But I think that was slightly unclear in his tweets. And obviously they're 140 character tweets, but <laughs> it seemed pretty clear he said six months for a billion miles. So um, in my travels around the country, I can't help noticing that I see maybe 100 times more Teslas on the road in Silicon Valley than I do anywhere else in the country. Probably more than that. Tesla is actually not an uncommon car here in Silicon Valley, but it's pretty rare when you see one elsewhere in the U.S. And mm -hmm. do you think that actually has some sort of effect on autopilot learning, that it's actually just learning how to drive in Northern California versus everywhere else in the country? Like the, it, the depth of its driving knowledge might actually be a lot lower in other parts of the country? Yeah. Or other parts of the world, for that matter? Certainly. I mean, we know that the cars are learning based on the, the miles driven and also the specific places are being driven. But there are also more minor things that are noticed. So, for instance, the way that exits are part of different uh, highway systems and the way that the lanes sort of will turn into an exit or the way that those micro interactions happen. I think those are certainly built into the system in general. But I, I do think that Certainly the lane awareness and mapping of particular areas is certainly strongest for California. So it wouldn't surprise me if their confidence in its accuracy for keeping lanes and ability to drive in California were, were, was much better than, say, Kansas or Wisconsin or some other state in the U.S. with, with lower penetration. Montana has very low Tesla penetration. So yeah, I think it definitely has an impact. I think that the the thing that it made me think about was like, okay, I think there's challenges around some of the criticisms were that autopilot should not be called autopilot. It's misleading. It makes people believe that it can drive you around. And I think there's definitely a disconnect in the media and in some of the reporting between people who've driven a Tesla with autopilot and those who own it, because the owner community, people are, are saying, you know, I get it. I know what I'm getting into when I'm driving autopilot. It's an optional feature. I'm turning it on. I'm taking the risk. I know it's a feature that's sort of special. And then you have outsiders who don't know about it, who just see Tesla claim autopilot and think that it is more than it really is. And, you know, both of us have driven it. And you had an experience driving with autopilot again recently, right, where you were using it. Yeah, my, my friend just bought a, a P90D, which is the top of the line uh, Model S. And we were down in Half Moon Bay, which is on the coast. If you use uh, OS X Mavericks, uh, that's where Mavericks is. Mm. It's a little... Nice reference. Yeah, thanks. It's a common escape for people in Silicon Valley, uh, where you have to drive up and over the mountains that are caused by the San Andreas Fault, and you come down on the other side to this little beach community called Half Moon Bay. But notoriously, there's only one road going in and out uh, in an east-west direction from... A lot of traffic. It's horrible, horrible traffic. So on the way out, we actually engaged autopilot as we were leaving and we were in stop and go traffic through a couple of intersections of lights and starting to go up a kind of a country sort of road. There's uh, farms and it, Half Moon Bay is famous for its pumpkin festivals. So there's like pumpkin patches and we uh, driving with autopilot 
engaged was actually far more rewarding in the really, really tedious and annoying stop and go bumper to bumper traffic trying to get out of a busy area than it was on a divided highway. But it was pretty interesting that we were, we were, we caught ourselves a couple of times trying to like guess what the car was thinking. Mm. Cause uh, at a certain point, the road kind of divides out a little bit uh, where you have a left turn lane and the double yellow line kind of kicks out to the left and the white line on the right kind of kicks out to the right. And there's some extra space there where the lanes are sort of pulling apart so that someone can stop to turn off and not block traffic. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was a couple of times that the car was starting to go to the left and then jerk back over to the right. And we were probably overthinking it because we were all very interested in how it was handling things. Uh, But in my opinion, that's the worst part of having to pilot a vehicle is dealing with stop and go bumper to bumper traffic. And being able to turn that on made the whole experience a lot more fun uh, or a lot more a lot less stressful mm-hmm. and less annoying. Uh, although we, we never actually ended up as the first car in line at a red light, uh, which I think would have negated the, whole, the, the benefit of it. Cause I, I don't think at this point it can actually detect that. So it was just keeping distance to the car in front of us, which was stopping at the red light. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you guys were in first position with autopilot on, uh, it would have blown through the light. It doesn't read lights or stop signs at this point. Which to be fair is not an unusual activity for California drivers, but ideally we would not be doing that. (laughs) Do you think your friend knew that or did he not know that about autopilot? Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were both acutely aware of, of the limitations of the technology. Got it. And, uh, Elon Musk was saying on Twitter that they believe they've aptly named it autopilot because they believe that it's exactly like autopilot on an airplane where you still have pilots in control. There are still pilots on every plane with autopilot and it's there as a convenience and safety feature. And so we did a little bit of research into the history of autopilots in airplanes and really got into some new information for me that I found super fascinating and really made me even more conscious of the amount of work that needs to be done on (laughs) on the car side to get to anywhere close to where we are on the aviation side. And also a reminder, there is no fully autonomous commercial airplane, even though we've had autopilots in in airplanes since 1930. Did you know that beforehand, though? That's no, I didn't know. This is what bothers me about it, because I think framing it like that is maybe a little disingenuous. One of the articles that you had shared was talking about a pilot who was riding back in the in the passenger cabin during a flight. And after a very turbulent flight, the pilot managed to kind of land very smoothly. And someone behind him made some sort of comment about how, oh, thank God we have autopilot or something like that. And the, the guy was like, well, you know, you don't understand. That was actually the pilot landing right there. Like autopilot isn't handling that. And I think that kind of betrays a little bit of this idea that I think for most people, and certainly me included, calling something autopilot does not mean something that is there some of the time and then the pilot picks up the rest of the time, that it means something that is driving the plane. Yeah, I guess I when I when I thought about it in the terms of airplane autopilot, I was definitely under the impression, but I have my college roommate's father was a pilot for U.S. Airways. So we had talked about autopilot once or twice when I was in college. And he was definitely, um, there's a common frustration among pilots that people think autopilot's doing all the work and that their challenge to that is that, well, if that were the case, why would we have two pilots on every plane still? And that, you know, even the definition of autopilot, like it's intended to control the vehicle and the flight, but it's not actually replacing all the types of work that have to happen on a, on a plane. There's still the work of communicating with 
the uh, tower and actually making sure that everyone is safe and that the all the readings from the rest of the aircraft are, are functioning correctly and to take over in the event that there's something wrong uh, and autopilot isn't able to to do it and apparently autopilots now on on major brand new aircraft can even land the plane and a lot of planes landing in san francisco actually are on autopilot because of the fog Right. And that was actually part of the crash that happened a couple of years ago with the flight from Asia. Mm-hmm. The afternoon flight, the one that happened like two or three years ago. Right. It landed a few hundred feet short of the runway. Yeah. So I think that autopilots have been with us in airplanes for decades. And in the 70s, they really started to become a core part of it. And now every major commercial Lar- any any plane over 20 seats or so is, is almost required to have autopilot. But pilots are still required to know their particular aircraft. And so I think this may be a slight disconnect between the Tesla engineering team's understanding of what autopilot means and, to your point, what the consumer thinks about it. Because I think people, I mean, so much of the press this week was using the concept of autonomous vehicles, of, of self-driving. And autopilot is walking this fine line of trying to seem futuristic and self-driving when it's actually, it's not, it's a, it's an assist feature. It's a convenience feature to remove, like you mentioned, the tedium of some common parts of driving, right? Similar to what autopilot is supposed to de-stress the pilot to be able to focus on higher level things, especially primarily because of these longer haul flights. It could be six, 10, 12, 14 hours doing the controls for that teeny little adjustments is, is quite tedious. Right. And, and apparently the computers are actually much better at keeping the the plane in the GPS specified travel lane, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's the efficiency gains as well, that they, they are better at using less fuel and, and staying on track. And yeah, that, that, that's just like a uh, an improvement there. And also the, the overall safety of airlines uh, and the number of crashes and fatalities has continued to drop. And that the number one reason for flight fatalities as a percentage is, is pilot error. It's not autopilot failures. So, you know, we're now at the point where it is pilot errors. The majority uh, of accidents and fatalities are caused by pilot error. And many times the, they ignore the autopilot. And if they had followed the autopilot, it would actually do better. So, you know, planes were in a spot now where autopilot type systems are are quite, quite robust, but they have massive amounts of redundancy built into them and 30, 40 years of training and improvement. And a lot less environmental hazards to contend with when you're flying at 35,000 feet than when you're piloting down a highway in, uh, in Florida. Yeah. You know, some of the, some of the big accidents have been caused by, uh, birds flying into engines and things like that and strikes of lightning. So really force majeure type <laughs> activities. In one of the articles you posted, they actually brought up the Sully, Sully Sullenberger, the pilot who landed on the Hudson. Yeah. He was piloting an Airbus 320 that took off from, actually, I, I don't know, one of the airports around around New York City. And it, it ran into a flock of geese, which took out the engines, and he completely lost all thrust. And he mentioned in one of the interviews afterwards that autopilot actually made the landing more difficult because there are uh, also autopilot or, or computer-assisted features in the plane that that aim to keep the pilot from getting the plane into a stall, which is where you might pull up the nose too much or or dip it too much, which would cause the lift generated by the wings to become insufficient and yeah, and, and essentially drop the plane. But for the crash landing, when he was landing in the Hudson, he wanted to pull the nose up more to make the landing a little more gentle. And the autopilot or the computer override stopped him from lifting it up as much as he wanted and made the landing a little harder than it would have otherwise been. 
Yeah, certainly one of those uh, corner cases where it's certainly not designed for landing in the ocean <laughs> in those sorts of scenarios. And, and in general, you wouldn't want that. And I think that's the that was one of the things that Elon was talking about in his tweets today even was that within six months, they hope to be able to bring autopilot out of beta. And two of the big requirements are that they want to get to at least a billion miles to, to have the statistical sample of the safety. A gigamile, you mean? A gigamile, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and also they have hundreds, apparently, improvements ready to go in a new software update of fixes for little corner cases and edge cases that they've been solving for. And no doubt I expect they'll have something to say about this incident um, with the tractor trailer and being able to tune it. So I think that the question I'm still wrestling with is, do we think that Tesla and Autopilot are at fault in this accident? Or is it merely uh, an accident and it should be looked at to be improved? But really, there isn't any blame. It's just a bad accident. And, you know, there there happen to be safety features, but they just didn't help out that much. Yeah. Or there could be blame, but it goes in the other direction. To the driver, you mean? Right. Or the other driver. Yeah. That Like, how much does the driver who was in charge of his own vehicle and who did go into the side of this truck have, you know, it's an unfortunate accident, but should we expect that the car, I think the thing that struck me was how much people expected that the Tesla for sure should not have hit that truck. Right. I think a lot of that comes back Uh, to calling it autopilot. People have a sci-fi and Hollywood expectation of what the future is that there's autonomous driving and you're going to have a Johnny cab or whatever that's going to drive you around. And when you call something autopilot, it's not a co-pilot. It's not a, it kind of tells you that you're going to be, and you see it with these YouTube videos of people posting where there was one guy who jumped in the back seat, other people reading or taking out newspapers. And I feel like no matter how much you say it's in beta, which, I mean, we can even debate how much saying something is in beta even means to the average person that that doesn't deal with technology but i I feel like there's i mean i'm reminded of q-tips the everyone knows these the q-tips the cotton swabs on the stick that Mm -hmm. and if you ever look at the packaging of a q-tip it says all these different uses that you can clean your tile grout or do all these ridiculous things with Q-tips. And it says specifically says, do not put them in your ears. But Q-tips are, are like a leading product and they're sold in every grocery store and drugstore and convenience store because people put them in their ears. No matter how much they're told not to do it, you know, if someone buys Q-tips, they're going home and they're cleaning out their ears with them. Despite the fact that the Q-tip tells you to do everything but put them in your ears and tells you explicitly not to put them in your ears, they're still going to do it. And I feel like there's right. there's a disconnect there where when you call something autopilot, people are going to think that the car is driving me around because that's what they want. They don't want to have to deal with this inane sort of monotony of driving the vehicle. So they they, they want it to be what they want. Yeah, I guess I'd push back a teeny bit because it isn't called ear cleaner. Like it's called Q-tip and people still do it wrong. So if even if Tesla didn't name this feature and it was just their cruise control, just adaptive cruise control, which many automakers have, I still think the people using it would push it to its limits, just like any technology. Yeah, but I, I think any any new technology, some people are going to push it to its limits and also... It will not save us from everything that we hoped it could in the beginning. And there will, of course, still be accidents. True, I mean, true. But Q-tip doesn't put some sort of device. They could 
manufacture Q-tips such that it would be impossible to put them in your ear, possibly. And Tesla could manufacture the autopilot such that as soon as you took your hands off of the wheel, it shut off. But right now it doesn't do that. They could actually do some sort of eye tracking or something to make sure that you're staring at the road and it doesn't do that. Like they, they could actually be doing more to force you to still engage with the road, but they're not. Yeah, I guess. But my pushback then is, well, it's not materially worse safety wise. So even if it wasn't a safety feature, it's just a convenience feature. What level of risk are we willing to take on personally for, you know, saying, well, I don't want to have my hands on the wheel. I, I do want it to sort of keep my lane for me. And I want to just relax a bit more. Like I want that in my car. I want to pay for it. I Yeah. I guess I, I don't know where people are. People are not writing articles every day about the, the thousand other car crashes uh, that happened this week. And well, all the other car makers whose cars didn't stop those accidents from happening. Right. And so I guess I feel like there is a double standard being applied to Tesla because they're trying to make it safer. They're being called out for the case where the person died and a not being congratulated for the other accidents where autopilot is saving people's lives actively. Those aren't being talked about. And then also the other car makers whose cars are being involved in crashes and they're not adding these safety features at the same rate Tesla is. And also then the core safety of the vehicle model s and model three or sorry model x are the highest rated vehicles in crash testing of any vehicle tested ever so i guess my general belief is that tesla is trying to improve the safety of vehicles and that if they that's the thing it's like do we believe that their software and their system is flawed i mean that's what these investigations are seeking to discover the nitsa investigation and now the ntsb which traditionally investigates every plane crash is now also investigating to find out not did something bad happen we know a fatality occurred but was the system failing in its intended purpose and that's the thing that still isn't fully clear to me right that it may like is it not it not sensing that truck seems like it's a failure but could they claim that they were not prepared for that? And so the software didn't fail. It just missed something. And that's like this super minute sort of edge case sort of thing that being in the software world, you understand that it's not necessarily a bug if it missed one of those cases. Like bugs happen from like known cases, but it, that's like such a pedantic thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, it's not a bug. I, it just, we never even designed it to handle that. Right, right. And But the user thought it was a bug. Yeah. Like you say, the human drivers are getting in accidents all the time. And I think there's, there's sort of a, a two prong approach here where there's a question of, was the software flawed? And if so, how can it be improved? Which is a, a logical progression that you want to do as these things happen. Yeah. Uh, but then there's sort of the PR angle of it where, yes, if you completely disconnect all emotion and human empathy from this, then we can talk about it like that. And engineers are usually pretty good about things like this. But the average person is probably going to be thinking more like, wow, you're speaking really callously about a human being and a father who died. Yeah. But ultimately that's true, right? Like there are probably like five fathers that would have died in regular vehicles, but one father died in the autopilot vehicle and let's learn from that. And I, I think it's more of a, it's probably something that as we go along, uh, as we progress in this world of, of autonomous vehicles and these autonomous driving systems that it's going to be something that we're going to learn how to to deal with, I guess, and, and sort of talk about in a way that is not 
off-putting? Yeah, I, I think it's certainly true that Tesla has to have known that someone would there would be a first person who was involved in a crash with autopilot, for sure. They had to have known about that that would be an inevitability. Yeah, I mean, everybody knew that, right? Like, it was going to happen. Yeah, so the thing that I found interesting is that it was going to happen in a case that autopilot did not succeed, which seems so obvious. But of course, the fatality would happen when autopilot w- was not able to exhibit all of its safety features and all of its goodness because the person died. Right. I mean, I think internally there is a question of, is it because the sensing equipment couldn't sense it? Or is it because the software didn't recognize it and hadn't experienced that before? But I mean, in, that's an internal distinction and doesn't really yeah, matter. Yeah, exactly. So, so then it really comes down to whether or not the system as a whole is worse for public safety and the drivers. It's a, it's a hazard versus something a positive still. My belief is that it will be the reports that come out will say that it was it was it was not a, a systemic failure of the of the system. This was something that was a confluence of events that made it difficult for the car to to view it, but that it it wasn't even something that necessarily it could have stopped in this particular case. And that because it's labeled as a beta feature, the driver still should have exhibited some control. It's not as if autopilot drove him into that car against his will. He was not paying attention. Yeah, yeah. I think the whole idea of the agency involved here is is uh, is what makes it kind of sticky. But it's interesting to, to if you think about it as though in this case, if autopilot does something like driving uh, the bright sky and it didn't pick up a tractor trailer truck coming across the road, the way the system works is theoretically. Once autopilot learns that scenario, all the other vehicles with autopilot will then understand that scenario. Whereas with humans, if that one guy managed to notice it and skid out of the way or somehow avoid it, then only that one guy would know. And not every other driver on the road would all of a sudden have that accident avoidance knowledge downloaded into their brains. Yeah. And I think that's the tough thing about these situations and and why I think you've talked about in the past why every plane crash gets investigated, but not every car accident, because the the set of players in the airlines is small enough that if there is a major failure, it can be investigated and rooted out and then preventative measures put in place either with the actual aircraft itself, with training materials, with the airlines, with the airports themselves. And so there's this constant iterative improvement of aircraft through unfortunate tragedy. The goal is not to have those same accidents happen again. Right. And it's something we explicitly do not do with automobiles. Right. Because we don't believe there's any way it could be better. (laughs) Well, I think we just don't think the effort is worth it. Like you could imagine where you have to uh, renew your license every single year or lose your ability to drive. And every year you would go in and you would learn the new things like they would teach you the new things that you learned every year. But we just don't think that that is economically feasible, that we could actually get everyone in and get everyone to learn that and download all that information or or teach that information to people. So we just teach you once when you're 16 in the U.S. and that's it. I think once you get to a certain age in your elderly years, we will start retesting you. But beyond that, yeah, between 16 and 76, you're you're fine. Yeah, just go in for renewal every once in a while. And, and worse comes worse, you retake the, the uh, written test um, if you let your li- license lapse for too long. So yeah, I mean, the, the bar for human human drivers is, is incredibly low. And, and we, we just take for, for granted that these accidents are going to happen so much. And 
once we shift that liability and concern, not, not even liability in the technical term, but just sort of the sense of responsibility to the, to the, to the car, we see what happens. These, these massive amounts of articles are written about whether or not we're progressing too quickly. And I think the, I, th- I do think that the safety angle uh, for the greater good is, is the biggest point for, for these self-driving cars. And I think it's difficult that Tesla doesn't yet have enough statistical evidence. They don't have federal agencies coming out and, and siding with them yet, but they have to be working towards that. And, you know, I was just on that, uh, I just took a road trip down to LA and uh, we had to take this little side pass for I-5 to avoid an accident. And it was going up, you know, almost a thousand feet or so above even the high elevation in the, the mountains there. Oh, right in the pass? Yeah, right in the pass. And there were some points where I was nervous driving and there were no guardrails and I just saw blue sky and coming up a crest of a hill and just seeing blue sky out in front of you. And people were going 20 miles an hour or so around these tiny tight turns up in this pass, mountain pass. And there's no way I would have had autopilot on if I had a Tesla. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it just would have felt way too scary. I mean, if I mean, I literally could have, have driven off the cliff uh, and it was very tight, like very small little switchbacks. And and so the only the, the biggest thing the uh, this accident made me think about was how much you really do need to be in control when you're driving one of these vehicles, even with autopilot and how much and how quickly you come to rely on it. And if the reliability of that system is not better than your own sensing abilities, you've now reduced your overall, um, you you sort of increase your overall risk. And and I think that the, the big thing, yeah, it just made me realize like, you really still have to stay super attentive. And I know that's what they say, but even when I was test driving it a little bit, I, I was nervous and, and wanting to pay attention, but it, it did become pretty like, oh, well, I can just change lanes and not have to look back. But no, you have to look back. Like you still you still need to worry about your blind spots because that little, little indicator light or that little sensor might've gone out. And I don't know what the mean time to failure is on that sensor. And I don't know if that sensor fails, what happens with the system. And so I still need to rely on my own eyes and ears to to pilot the vehicle. And those can help, but you can't rely on them because if one of those goes out, you don't know what's going to happen. So that was my biggest takeaway. And I hope for the owners and listeners, I'd love to hear uh, their thoughts and how they have come to adapt to autopilot and if, if these accidents have changed their their views at all about how they use it. But yeah, I think that the complacency seems to be the biggest risk. And one of the things that Google certainly has flagged as one of the reasons they're avoiding the sort of incremental approach. Yeah, they do a monthly report. I think the state of California requires a monthly report on their autonomous driving program. And at the somewhere around the beginning of 2016, I think beginning of this year or end of last year, Mm. their monthly report had a they had no accidents to report and they just reported a uh, philosophical, I guess, uh, uh, statement where they they believe that semi-autonomous driving i guess what what tesla has with autopilot is probably a dead end that might be maybe a stronger word than they were using but this idea that expecting the human to regain control of the vehicle at the moment that the system gets confused is unrealistic Mm -hmm. and i think there was a, a study out of virginia tech where they were testing in a driving simulator how long it took people to come back from whatever task they were doing and then ascertain like what was going on in the road and take control of the 
uh, simulated vehicle. And it was something like 17 seconds. Was that right? Yeah. And it was yeah either seven or 17. Yeah. It ended up being like 1600 feet of distance at highway speeds. So you're, you're going like five football fields or something they, they equated it to. Yeah. It's crazy. So, you know, you just don't have, which makes total sense, right? Like, like it's very difficult to, to even just, I mean, people are getting in accidents, just looking down for like a second or two at their phone to check their text messages or even check the directions on, on GPS. And you're, you're traveling so fast that you're just not, the human brain isn't built to process and, and react that quickly. Yeah. I mean, I know, I notice it so much now when I'm driving uh, with an Uber or something, um, if I'm on the highway and, and my Uber li- or the Lyft driver checks their phone in their pocket or on their lap, you notice how much time their eyes are not looking at the road. And it, it makes me remember that when I'm driving, I really can't do it. Because when you do it yourself, you think like because you sort of see the windshield going down in your field of view as you look down and you kind of feel like you know what was going on. But when you're a passenger and you see someone do that, I get so freaked out. And that's just one or two seconds. I mean, imagine having, you know, having been in a conversation or watching, you know, TV or something. Playing a game or reading a book. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's been some plans that like level three autonomy has built into it. This idea that the computer needs, the car needs to be able to let the driver know it needs to take control. And so that means the sensing abilities have to be such that they can anticipate seven to 10, 15 seconds in advance. But for some things, if someone walking out in front of you, you might not be able to to do that. And so that would not have uh, have helped in this tractor trailer truck cutting across the road situation, right? Like seven seconds, that would have been impossible. Yeah. And I mean, unless the vision or or radar was such that or the LIDAR were there that it could actually sense that the truck was turning from, you know, thousands of feet away, which it may have. And I'm curious if, you know, there's so many questions. Were there other cars uh, on the road at this time? How did they react to it? Did they stop? Did they not stop? When did they start stopping? Right. Was the car going too fast? Um, Probably couldn't have been going too much faster because autopilot's limited to five miles over the speed limit if it's reading a speed limit sign. So he couldn't have been going 100 miles an hour, but he may have been able to go 70 or 75, depending on the speed limit of that particular road. So at that rate of speed, this truck turning left, did it not see the Tesla? Did it, like, did it? So many questions of, of what happened in this particular case. But Well, sometimes you just jump out to and assume if you're being an aggressive driver, you're just going to assume that the other person is going to stop. You're going to be the alpha in the intersection and you're pulling out and you'll force them to stop. Yeah, especially if you're a truck. If that were the case, and this is complete speculation, the truck driver would not have known that the driver was not in charge of stopping. Yeah. And I think that's that's where I think that Tesla needs to have a response for in, in not too distant future that this would not happen with this new sensor or this would not happen with this new software to put some fears at rest that at least for this particular case, they have made improvements because without that, they'll they'll constantly get questions. Would this happen again? And they have to be able to say no. A change log has to come out that says we've we've addressed, we've learned from this situation and now all other vehicles will not fall victim to it. I think so. And I think they also have to outline all these other ways that you can, not, you'll, you'd be safe with all these other learnings that they haven't really unveiled too much of how the fleet learning has improved. But I think at a new, at sort of their next event where they talk about autopilot or even just any new next event, I think their PR team and their media team really needs to focus on putting these fears, uh, at least, you know, coming out and trying to put people's fears at rest about these particular instances 
and talk about their plans for how things get even more safe. Because we all know that even with that being two or three or four or five times safer than human drivers, that still would be thousands of deaths with these cars. And so it's just never, it's, it, you, could, you could fill news every single day with an accident and be mi- wildly misunderstanding the, the risk. And it would be terrible for Tesla and for self-driving cars, but not that hard to do if there were, you know, uh, when the Model 3 comes out, there's going to be five times more cars. And so we would we would have five times more accidents per period just, just by having there be more cars for no other reason. So there's going to be a lot more accidents in Teslas when Model 3 comes out, not because it's unsafe, but because there's just more cars. Yeah. And it's interesting. You mentioned the, the perception of it, too, because people they're not terrified when they're driving down the street. They feel like they're not going to get in an accident, but you put the average person in a plane and because like their agency is taken away, they're not the one that is piloting the vehicle that they're in. Now, all of a sudden people get really nervous and the same person that's terrified that the plane isn't going to be piloted correctly is the same person that would be totally fine driving their own vehicle. Or even, I guess some people even get terrified as passengers in vehicles too. Yeah, I was in a pretty bad car accident as a kid and uh, I am a really uncomfortable passenger. Uh, but as a driver, I feel much more in control and safe. Regardless of who's driving, it doesn't matter really. I can't really drive with anyone and not feel like I'm slightly, you know, paying attention and looking around and really sort of backseat driving, which is terrible for people I drive with, unfortunately. But looking for that driving instructor break on the passenger side. I know, yeah, I would I would really like that. Um, <laughs> but what's what's interesting is you I think you can find an unpiloted vehicle that people think is pretty safe. And, and like one of those would be the people movers in many airports, those little shuttles that right. sort of are in those tubes. I guess they're monorails or little trains. Or Yeah, they're on some sort of rails, yeah. Yeah, those usually don't have um, humans. They're usually completely computer controlled. Right. Well, kind of like amusement park rides too, right? Like when you go on It's a Small World, you don't have a, a pilot there uh, having to listen to that song over and over again all day long. Yeah, elevators. Uh, so I, I think obviously there are, you can find cases of unmanned, completely computer controlled uh, systems where people totally take for granted that they're in them and that they're, they're relatively safe. But, you know, more people die in elevators and bike sharks, uh, apparently. So, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, it's still a risk, but, but people are certainly more afraid of sharks and elevators. So I don't know when we're going to get there with cars. I, I hope we get there in our lifetime. But it's definitely going to be a bumpy road. Uh, yeah, it's interesting that there's the, the two avenues. There's the technological avenue of can we get the systems good enough? And then there's the sort of perceptive, perceptual, perceptual. Let's go with perceptual avenue mm-hmm. of how do we feel about it? Yeah. Are we are we comfortable with the cars driving us around? Uh, I've, there were a couple good articles, and I think we're getting getting uh, towards the end of the episode time-wise. But there were a few articles this week circulating as well about the other thing that Google's doing that a lot of people admire is that their self-driving cars, the new city ones, the very sort of cute looking ones, currently have a top speed of 25 miles an hour uh, because they're intended for cities. And uh, that certainly at low speeds, your risk of a fatal accident for the, for the driver is, is way reduced. And that perhaps self-driving cars should, should start out at much lower rates of speed um, to decrease their risk of, of catastrophic failure. Um, that, you know, even even most of Google's accidents have happened at very, very low speeds. And so if you if you focus on low rates of speed, you perhaps can reduce the likelihood of these really um, sensationalist um, 
challenges. I mean, the Google Google got in an accident hitting the back of a bus at 12 miles an hour. I mean, it's really hard to make a sexy story out of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although you're by moving it onto city streets instead of highways, then you're introducing the possibility of hitting actual humans. But yeah, I think any sort of I think we had mentioned in an earlier episode this idea that maybe autopilot might be something where once you hit like a certain city limits or or like I, cities like London have a congestion zone or something where once you get into a certain point, there's some sort of different paradigm that picks up, uh, whether it's speed or tolls or whatever. Um, and you could imagine something where uh, you, you have parking garages or something out around a perimeter. And if you don't have a vehicle that can handle the mandated safety regime regime then uh you have to park there and take public transportation in yeah i was i was reminded today that uh any of these sort of rules that are uh, force you to have a self-driving car or self-driving car lanes uh, probably won't actually pass because they're they're quite classist yeah that uh if you don't have the means to afford you know well car cars in general are, are pretty classist though too yeah but certainly on the roads like any car that you have that you know almost every car can have two passengers so that you're a passenger so carpool lanes aren't necessarily advantageous to the rich um, but a self-driving car lane would potentially be extremely difficult politically to get through. Um, and I had sort of forgotten that concept, which is sort of just... We have emissions controls too. That's another way of, of like the less expensive, older automobiles have to be taken off the road for emissions reasons. So the, yeah, there is definitely precedent for that. That's true. Uh, anything else for tonight before we wrap it up? It seems like there might be some interesting Tesla news this week. Uh, Elon Musk today, as we record, uh, said he plans to release a note about uh, his secret... Tesla's secret world domination plan part two. Oh wow. Is uh, that our first Tesla show teaser right there? Are you, are you doing th- our first teaser? I, I think so. I mean, he, he had exciting. released it at 2006, the first one, and he sort of outlined getting to the model three. And that was sort of the end of that first letter. Oh and wait, so, so this is not part two of the model three. This is a, a no. bigger picture part two. Yeah. Yeah. Tesla world, like Tesla secret master plan part two. Oh man, there's nested part twos. Yes, so uh, there might be a, there might be model three part two reveal in there. But I think uh, <laughs> my my current expectations just super quick little lightning round. I think there'll be discussion of uh, why Solar City is important. I think there'll be discussion of uh, fully autonomous vehicles, and I think there'll be uh, discussion of multiple factories and to support more production. All right, and well, more cars. You're on cars. You're on the record for that. Yes. So he said he was going to release it in the ensuing seven days. So Elon time, you know, that might be in the next month. But all right. We might have our topic for next week. We might have our topic for next week. So uh, tune in next week. In the interim, where can people reach us if they have comments on uh, anything we've been talking about? Yep. Uh, We uh, have a subreddit r slash the Tesla show where you can leave comments on the episode. Uh, You can also tweet at us at the Tesla show on Twitter. And uh, on our website, theteslashow.com, we have comments on the, on the individual episodes and uh, the drink recipes as they are are also available on the Tesla Show <laughs> subreddit. Um, and uh, you can also leave us a review on iTunes if you want to get in touch with us that way as well. So until next week, I'll talk to you later, Mike. Excellent. All right. Talk to you later. Bye.